Welcome to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. Enjoy the message. I want to tell you a story before we jump into the Word. Uh, I, was, I was thinking back to when Wendy was pregnant with Kaylee, our second, and our first, uh, with Tyler, we had uh, a midwife, but the midwife had retired, and so we, we didn't have a midwife, so we thought we should go to a birthing class. Um, a birthing class will prepare us for everything we need to know for this birthing experience. And so we looked online, we talked to our, our OBGYN, and they, they sent us to a, a place. And, and we, we walk in, and the lights are down, and there's incense kind of in the air, and candles lit. I'm thinking, this does not look at all like the room where Tyler was born. Um, I don't know that this is setting us up properly. And, and I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to be a good sport, and I'm, I'm listening to, okay, I need to be supportive, and we need to breathe. God, we need to, okay, we're going to breathe together. And, and then they brought out these big bowls of ice water, and they said, men, put your hands in this ice water. This simulates the birth pain. And I'm like, oh, all right. So I put my hands in it. I'm like, this is kind of like a sports bath. This is pretty cool. Um, obviously failing the birthing class. And, and then shortly before lunch, this is like an all-day thing, shortly before lunch, the lady has us all stand up, and she says, ladies, I want you to put your hands out like this. So Wendy's a good sport. She puts her hands out. Men, I want you to stand behind them, and I want you to, to hold their hands Hold their arms up so they can feel your support. I'm like, oh, this is like Moses praying. This is biblical. This is awesome. And then she walks over to a CD player. I'll explain that to the young ones later. Um, And she starts to play R. Kelly's I Believe I Can Fly. Oh, it gets better. And then she says, I want you to sing along. And so I'm standing behind Wendy I'm looking around, people are crying. And I'm, whiz- I'm singing in her ear, pretty sure I want to die. Come and stick a fork right in my eye. And she's like, shut up. And I'm like, no, we're having a moment here. It's beautiful. We got to the end of the song. We were released for lunch. And Wendy and I walked up to the birthing coach and went, hey, uh, probably not coming back. Thank you for what you're doing just really not our vibe. And we went home kind of shaking our heads and laughing. And, and I was thinking about that story again this week, probably because I needed a chuckle. Um, but I figured out why she was doing it. Behavior follows belief. Behavior follows belief. She was trying to get these young parents to believe they could do something so that when it came time, they would behave as people who could. Now, her methodology was whacked. I mean, R. Kelly has never made me believe I can do anything other than change the channel. Um, But in Paul's writing, he is driven by this same thought that behavior follows belief. If you believe you are saved by grace, you behave as someone who has been set free. Because you understand God has done something. He has acted in me to do something I could not do on my own. But if, like some of the people to whom Paul was writing, you believe that you are saved by adherence to Jewish law, you behave 
as if your relationship with God is conditional. If you behave the right way, I have to do this on my own, hoping I do it right, because then God will come alongside and affirm me and love me. This is why Paul in this letter is so adamant that we understand the grace of God. Grace is the foundation. Obedience is the response. The grace of God, the gift of salvation by faith, God coming to us in the person of Christ while we were far from him, dying for our sins, that is the foundation. Obedience, walking that out, is the response to what he has done. It's not what we do to make him do something. Next week, guys, we're going to pivot and we're going to start to talk about how we respond to the grace of God, what walking in obedience looks like for a grace-filled, set-free people. But this morning, Paul has a couple of closing thoughts about the relationship between the grace of God, the promise of God, and adherence to the law or, or working out our salvation in work. So we're going to jump into the letter this morning, starting in, in verse 15 of chapter 3. I'm going to read a lot again, so take a, take a deep breath. I believe in you. You can fly. No, sorry. Sorry. So Paul, writing, this is the New Living Translation, he says, Dear brothers and sisters, here's an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or amend an irrevocable agreement, so it is in this case. God gave the promises to Abraham and his child. And notice that Scripture doesn't say to his children as if it meant many descendants. Rather, it says to his child. And that, of course, means Christ. This is what I'm trying to say. The agreement God made with Abraham could not be canceled 430 years later when God gave the law to Moses. God would be breaking his promise. For if the inheritance could be received by keeping the law, then it wouldn't be the result of accepting God's promise. But God graciously gave it to Adam as a, Abraham as a promise. So why then was the law given? It was given alongside the promise to show people their sin. But the law was designed to last only until the coming of the child who was promised. God gave his law through the angels to Moses, who is the mediator between God and people. Now, a mediator is helpful if more than one party must reach an agreement. But God, who is one, did not use a mediator when he gave his promise to Abraham. So, is there a conflict then between God's law and God's promise? Absolutely not. If the law could give us new life, we would be made right with God by obeying it. But scriptures declare that we're all prisoners of sin. So we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. Before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under guard by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. All who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are true children of Abraham. You are his heirs. And God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. There's a ton in there. I get it. So we're, we're going to just see together how far we get uh, this morning. So rather than trying to download everything I've got prepared, can we just kind of walk this out together and see how far we get and, 
come back to it if we need to next week. Thank you so much for the yes. I was totally going to do it anyway, but it just really makes me feel affirmed and like we're on the same team. So Paul, again, is, is giving his readers a little bit of a, of a history lesson. Remember, he has a, he has a mixed audience. Uh, he's, he's writing to a church in a Jewish, commu- excuse me, a Gentile community, uh, the churches in Galatia, but it has been populated by Jewish believers as well. And there was a particular group of Jewish believers called Judaizers, and they had infiltrated the church. Now, a Judaizer was someone who was telling you, in essence, you need to be Jewish to belong to the body of Christ, to belong to the family of God. They were saying salvation comes through Jesus and through the law. Pastor Caden unpacked this for us uh, two weeks ago. Paul is saying, no, salvation is a work that Jesus has done, and it's imparted through the grace of God, and it's something that was promised a long, long time ago. So let's, let's read three verses, and then we'll unpack those. Dear brothers and sisters, he says, here's an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or amend an irrevocable agreement, uh, it's a covenant is what he's referring to, so it is in this case. God gave the promises to Abraham and his child. Notice scripture doesn't say to his children as if it meant many descendants, rather to his child, and that of course means Jesus. Here's what I'm trying to say. The agreement God made with Abraham couldn't be canceled 430 years later when God gave the law to Moses. God would be breaking his promise. For if the inheritance could be received by keeping the law, then it would not be the result of accepting God's promise. But God graciously gave it to Abraham as a promise. I love that Paul begins this section of his letter the same way he opened the letter, with dear brothers and sisters. Because you remember the intervening greeting, if you will, uh, that he gave in Pastor Caden's message was, you foolish Galatians, right? Paul was a little hot under the collar, but he reminds them, even though we're talking about something fairly intense and potentially divided, you are my brothers and you are my sisters. You are members of my family. Disagreement does not have to lead to division. This is part of Paul's story and part of Paul's example. That it is okay for you and I to see things differently as long as love is the common denominator. It's how we learn, and it's how we grow. You and I see things differently. We sit down, but our common bond is a love of Christ and love of one another. So there is grace between us as we share our perspectives and try to come to a a common understanding. This is why I believe the church of Jesus Christ, and you know the church is us, it's why we are the answer to the brokenness the dysfunction, and the division in the world around us. You and I share the language of love. And if you and I, as Paul does here, can see people as those who Jesus loves, whether they agree with us or not, we will be a healing presence wherever we go. If our perspective is, you foolish Lompokians, who has bewitched you, you are a bunch of morons, then we will never engage in a healing or a restorative or a loving relationship with people who are different than we are. Difference, disagreement does not have to divide. Paul is showing us that here. Love is the language of Christ. It's the language of his people. That's not the same as 
as blind acceptance or acquiescence, but our language, Paul says in other places, must be salted with, flavored with love. So I get to this point in his letter, and I have to begin to ask myself, am I someone whose language is salted with love when I am talking to or about people with whom I disagree? And I would have to give you a resounding sometimes. But can, can I just remind you, in case you haven't seen the news, um, that we are walking once more toward an election season? I know, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, right? Every once in a while, I'm like, you know, maybe the monarchy wasn't so bad after all. They didn't have to do this every four years. They just had to do it about every 30 years. I quickly get angry in an electoral season. It doesn't take much to fire me up. I'm trying this year to posture myself as a person who sees everyone with whom I disagree as someone who Jesus loves. Some of them will make it harder for me than others. I understand that. But I really do believe that the people of God are meant to be a healing balm when the world begins to get sideways and angry and people are scared and they're in sometimes violent disagreements. Can we just agree as we knuckle down and have to walk through this one more time, can we just be a people who are kind of consciously asking Jesus to help us be loving when we really don't want to be? Because that's what I see with Paul here. Paul could have written these, these I almost morons. I mean, he could have written them off. And yet he identifies with them as family. Okay, that was, well, it was important, but it was not here. So let's get back to here. Um, Paul says, let, let me help you with a little bit of history. Some of you guys are having trouble with the calendar. Uh, the promise came first, came before the law. And because the promise came first, he's talking about the law of preeminence, he says, the law can't change it. God spoke to Abraham and set something in place. And 430 years later, actually 600 years, 430 years later, was the, uh, that was the uh, affirmation, the, the ratification of the, the, the covenant with Jacob. Then the law came. The law can't take primary position in regard to the promise of God because it came second. God made a covenant with Abraham. In this language, it says irrevocable agreement. That's what a covenant is. A covenant is, is an agreement that two parties are enter into, and they say, if we break this covenant, we're going to die. In Genesis 12, God promises Abraham that through his seed, all nations, all people in the world will be blessed, will be restored, will be healed, will come to a place where they are able to flourish. In, in Genesis 15, God ratifies that promise to Abraham with a covenant. So, so we have a covenant promise that Abraham's seed, his offspring, is going to bless or restore all of humanity. And Paul is saying, when you, when you enter into a covenant, that's period, full stop. That's done. God didn't make that promise and say, hey, I'm going to add to it in about four, five, maybe six centuries. He said, this is my intent. My intent is that through the seed of Abraham, all people will experience a blessing. And then Paul goes on to say, listen, you, you know how this works. When two people enter into a covenant, when two people enter into a contract, a third person, in this case the law, they can't come alongside 
and add to it. They can't change it because the contract is already in effect. Wendy and I had some work done in our kitchen. We had to update some things. And so um, we sat down with a couple of people and said, here's what we want to do. Um, this is when we would like it done. And they drew up a contract. And the contract said, we'll do this for you. You will pay us this much money, which is how contract works, correct? Okay. They got the keys to the house so they could work while we were gone. If I came home and they were working in my bathroom and I walked up and I said, Scott, what are you doing? Why are you working in my bathroom? And he came to me and said, well, your neighbor came over and said that in order for you to have an updated kitchen, we first needed to remodel the bathroom. I would look at Scott and say, you are outside your mind, right? That is the dumbest thing. The, the contract protects the promise we made. You do this and I'll do that. This is what Paul is saying. Those of you who are coming and saying the law is primary, you're saying that a third party can come alongside after a legal document has been signed and add to it. And you and I both know you can't do that. To God had a contract with Abraham. He had a covenant. And to add or take away from that covenant was going to be illegal. The contract said that his offspring, his seed, singular, would be the one through whom a blessing came. It pointed to a person. When, when God says, Abraham, through your seed, um, it, that's the NIV, um, that, should, that should feel like a callback to us to Genesis 3, which would have been the last time we heard that same language. Genesis 3, uh, beginning in 14, God is speaking to the serpent after Adam and Eve have sinned, and he said to the serpent, because you've done this, you're cursed more than all animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. When God curses somebody, he curses them good. I will cause hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring, that's the same Hebrew word, and her offspring. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. The promise to Abraham was a reiteration of the promise that God spoke in Genesis 3, that there was a person through whom God's people were going to be restored, a person through whom the destructive influence of the serpent leading people to sin and rebellion would be once and forever broken. So Paul is saying God made the promise. He, he continued the promise. You can't add to the promise. But that's exactly what the Judaizers were trying to do. They were trying to add the law to God's promise. But Paul says Jesus, and only Jesus, is how this promise is going to be fulfilled. Judaizers were trying to add to God's grace, and they were trying to take away from God's promise. They were trying to change the contract. Paul goes on, verse 9. You still with me? All right, just checking, because I know it's a lot. I can tell you right now we're not going to finish. <laughs> that leaves the question. We touched on this briefly a few weeks ago. So then why was the law given? Why would God do that? Verse 19, it was given alongside, say alongside. Alongside the promise. doesn't say instead of. It was given alongside the promise to show people their sin. But the law was designed to last only, say only, only until the coming of the child who was promised. God gave his law 
through the angels to Moses, who was the mediator between God and the people. Now, a mediator is helpful if more than one party have to reach an agreement. But God didn't use a mediator when he gave his promise to Abraham. So is there a conflict then between God's law and God's promise? Heck to the no. Uh, Sorry, absolutely not. If the law could give us new life, we would be made right with God by obeying it. But scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin, so we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. Now, remember with me that although he's talking about the law, the law, the law, the law, the thing that is driving this conversation for Paul is the grace of God. He is simply trying to educate and explain to people the function of the law because he wants them to receive, to live, and to walk in the grace of God that is freely given. Paul's goal for you and for me is that we would live free before Jesus and unburdened by any kind of external influences, rules, or boundaries that would keep us from living free. This is what Jesus intends for us. Those who the Son have set free are free indeed. So Paul is going deep because he's trying to pull one of these lies that lie that you can somehow work your way into God's favor out by the roots. And it is a very, very deep root. It's a root that we still find sometimes when we look internally today. I am still what I once was. No, I don't care how badly you sinned, how much you messed up, what you did. I don't care if you did it yesterday. Scripture says, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. We don't walk in shame. We walk in freedom. Why do we walk in freedom? Because the grace of God has been freely given. And what is the grace of God? Him working in us to do what we can't do in ourselves. This is how we come to salvation. Paul keeps saying, faith in Christ, faith in Christ, faith in Christ. Believing that he can do what he promised to do. Getting distracted. Okay. It's a pretty good side road, isn't it? Sometimes we just got to remember what is Paul, it's it's like there's the what and the why. Why is Paul trying to say this? What is he trying to deconstruct in his listener? This, This thing that says my acceptance by God is conditional on my behavior. It's not. We start with grace and then we move to obedience. So Paul says, listen, this law that you are, you are trying to live up to that's governing your behavior, it was always intended to be temporary. It was never meant to be permanent. God put it in place to keep guardrails up for Israel until a particular point in time. And what was that point in time? When Jesus came, was waiting for the promised child. The promise of Abraham was of a Savior who was to come and do for us what we could not do for ourselves. The entire Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, points to Jesus. Okay? Sometimes it feels like it's pointing to us. It's not. I am not the main character in the Bible story. But sometimes we read it like it's all about me. Can we just be honest? But it's not. Genesis to Revelation point to Jesus. And Jesus invitation for us to come into his coming and ever-expanding kingdom. And so because, Paul's point is, Jesus is the center of the story, 
Jesus must be your focus, and Jesus must be the center of your attention, your affection, and your heart. The law was not bad, but all the law was doing was saying, look at Jesus. He's coming. And as soon as it could say it was here, the law said, you don't need me anymore. But other people said, but we like our law. We, we feel safe in our rules. We, we don't have to ask ourselves, what is the new thing God is doing? What might he be inviting me into? What might he be asking of me? How might he be asking me to stretch and grow? Because we're able to say, oh, it's 40 days after the ascension. It's Pentecost. I'm just going to do the Pentecost thing. I'm not going to, I'm going to eat kosher today. Do you understand how the law becomes a limiter? No? Then I'll tell you again. Okay. Paul is inviting us into freedom. He is inviting us into a liberated and liberating life with the Holy Spirit made possible through Christ's death and resurrection. And as long as we don't understand the grace of God and what he has given, as long as we don't understand that our behavior, our ability to get it right is not what makes him love us, we will never take the kinds of risks that Jesus has designed us for. When it comes to extending the kingdom of God, representing him in the world today, you and I are God's plan A. Do you know that? Do you also know that there is no plan B? I mean, there isn't. It's us. We're it. Yay. And so Paul is going, for the love of all that's holy, step out of legalism. Step into freedom. Because then and only then can you begin to enjoy fullness in Christ. And it's when you enjoy fullness in Christ, you live into your design as the people of God. Following Jesus. Can I just, let me give you a peek behind the curtain. It's not supposed to stink. It's not supposed to be, I gave my life to Christ, I'm going to sit down now, life's going to suck for a while, and then he'll come back and we'll go to heaven. You can live that way if you want, and when he comes back, you'll get to go. But you will miss out on the beauty for which you were created. You, If Jesus is not the center of your story, then you don't understand that our God is always in motion. That he is the one who says, behold, I am doing a new thing. Behold, I make all things new. And you will miss the fullness that God intends for you. Paul is not mad at Galatians. He's like, come on, guys, get on the bus. We're going somewhere. God has called us. He has invited us. He has designed us to do some stinking, amazing things. We'll get to that in 4, 5, and 6. But if you don't understand this concept of God's love and the grace that he extends to you, you won't believe you're a candidate for what comes in the second half of the book. You're tracking with me. I can yell more if that would be helpful. Okay. I have no idea where I am. I do know what time it is, though. I don't need to say that. I don't need to say, oh, let me, I'll say this. Lest you think I am telling you how bad the law is. The law is not bad. And Amy, I'm jumping halfway down page five. Just to let you know where I'm at, because I'm not being nice to you this morning, and I know that. The law was good, as long as we remembered its purpose. The law did not contradict the promise. The law cooperated with the promise. 
The law is what kept Israel moving forward in a right direction. It, the law told Israel what to hope for. It laid out a standard of righteous behavior, what life, look, what life looked like in the kingdom of God. And it pointed toward a moment in time where God was going to make possible what for them until this point had not been possible. But it painted a beautiful picture. The law was never the problem. The problem was worship of the law. That's what the Judaizers were doing. They were putting it alongside or even above the promise and the promise giver. There was a thought in Jesus' day that if the nation of Israel, everyone in Israel could keep Torah, could keep the law for a single day, the Messiah would come. And it put the responsibility of fulfilling the promise on people rather than on God. This is what it means to worship the law. It's when it takes God's place in the covenant. If we do this, God will do that. That's not the promise. God looked at Abraham and said, hey, I'm going to do this. God made a promise to Abraham. Do you know Abraham never made a promise to God? Not only did Abraham not make a promise to God, Abraham was asleep. Like if God wanted to be any clearer that this was on him not on us, I don't know how he could have. Genesis 15 says Abraham fell into a deep sleep. God showed up. said, I'm establishing a covenant here and now. But those who put the law, worship the law, put it above the promise, were actually moving God to the sidelines, saying, God, you can enter the game once we get things cleaned up and things are good enough. When we become the standard, we make ourselves an idol. Can I tell you? (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I think it's true too. There are different ways that we can make ourselves an idol. One is, I'm awesome so God loves me. I'm an idol. The other is, I'm so horrible, so broken, such a sinner, that God can't love me, God won't reach out to me, God won't work through me. That's idolatry. Because I am saying, I am am bigger than God. God can't because I am. Doing okay? That's like a bit of a, oh. I thought that was humility. No, that's idolatry. Humility is I don't deserve it, but thank God I get it. That's humility. I don't even know why I have notes up here today. I just... But man, am I preaching to myself this morning. I'm having fun. Okay. I'm just, this is like a menu. What should we talk about next? I don't know. Um, hmm. Yeah, we kind of covered that. Can I talk about the election again for a second? Since we're having so much fun together. There you go. There's my bumper sticker. I say this and still have friends when I'm done. These are the moments my wife starts to sweat. This this idea, if we do things right, then God will bless us, is wrong, correct. Can Can I tell you one of the ways sometimes it presents itself in an election year? If if you find yourself looking for a particular candidate or a particular party 
to save us. You are wrestling with the same things that the church in Galatia was wrestling with. There are things that we have to do, have to achieve, have to accomplish, people we have to elect or have to defeat, and then, then God will see what we have done and we will have created a structure through whom he can or through which he can bring his blessing. This is exactly what they're wrestling with in Galatia. And Paul had a very simple answer. Jesus. He just took everybody back to the promise. Listen, God made a promise. He made a promise that Jesus would come and that Jesus would be the answer. And please don't hear me say we should not be engaged in the political process. We absolutely should be engaged in the political process. However, if my salvation, if my security is ever placed in someone or something other than Jesus, it is misplaced. It is Jesus first and then. It's not and then and a little bit of Jesus. Does that make sense? Are we still friends? Okay. Because if not, I'll start the foolish. No, I won't. I won't do that. I won't do that. I never want to miss the Messiah because I've been trusting in or waiting for a man or a woman. I just, I just don't. And, and this is what had happened in Galatia. Remember that thing about if Israel can keep Torah for a single day, the Messiah would come? Well, the Messiah had come. And the Messiah had walked among them and healed their sick and raised their dead and gone to the cross and resurrected, and they still missed him. I don't want to miss the Messiah. I, I need to put a comma here. Is this an okay place to put a comma? Okay. Um, I will, can I just, moment of, like, transparency on my heart. Uh, it's really hard for me to put a comma here because I feel like we haven't got to any application yet, and I feel like I'm a bad pastor when I say, here's what Scripture says, but never say, and so here's what we should do. But I'm going to trust that whatever the Holy Spirit wanted you to hear this morning, you heard. Uh, and then we're going to pick this up and have a lot of fun um, with the, the, the last part of this. And then we get to turn into what God has made possible through the fulfilling of the promise. We get to talk about the fruit of the Spirit and how we live a Spirit-filled life and how, how God's Spirit engages with us, not on Sunday morning, but every moment of every day of our lives, which I just, I, like, I get... Can you tell I get excited about that stuff? I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait. Let's, let's pray. Would you stand with me? There's nothing holy about that. It just makes it easier for you to walk out as soon as I say amen. <laughs> Jesus, we are so grateful that you are the fulfillment of a promise. God, we're so grateful that, that you haven't changed your mind. You haven't taken your promise back. Lord, we're grateful that all of those promises that we've read, those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They are, they are as true today as they were the day they were spoken, the, the day they were imparted, the day we were written, they were written down. Lord, for us this morning, will you help us be a people who walk out our disagreements speaking the language of love? God, we want to be a, a voice of truth, but also a voice of compassion and empathy and unity. We want to be known for the love that we have for you, for one another, and for those who don't know you yet, but for whom you laid down your life. Lord Jesus, help us to represent you well this week. Thank you for loving us. We love you in return. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have a great week, guys. 
We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please visit us at mylfc.com for more information about our church. Thank you so much for listening.